0: Father, as we take instruction from your word, um, I pray that it would be more than just words, that it would be your word, uh, your Holy Spirit-inspired word from uh, your Bible that would direct us and guide us and lead us. And Lord, I pray that you would um, do some deep work amongst families uh, as we open your Bible today, we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. So here is the verse for fathers. It says, um, "Fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Okay, so fathers do not provoke your children. Now, if you look up the word provoke, you know what it means to incite To anger. All right. And in the parallel passage in Ephesians, Paul comes right out and says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, uh, do you get the impression that Paul knows that we men? can do things that if we don't watch it will produce frustration in our children. And that frustration can not only be detrimental in our relationship with our children, but it can be detrimental in their relationship with the Lord. So here's what I want to do. I want to explore five things... Five provoking uh, characteristics that we men, we fathers, can fall into. So the, the text is don't provoke as you're parenting, as you're training them up in the Lord. Be careful of these things that could lead to them being frustrated and angry. All right? So, first characteristic would be this hypocrisy. Well, what kind of hypocrisy? Well, you are teaching them to obey you. How are you doing at setting an example of submitting to authority in your life? Okay? In fact, we we talked about this when it said wives submit to your husbands. We talked about why wives might not submit to their husbands, and one reason was bad example. Not of other women, but of husbands who say, you submit to me, but they don't set an example of submission to the God-ordained authorities in their life. So why would we expect our children to submit to our authority if we're not submitting to the authority in our own lives? You say, well, what kind of authority uh, should, should I be submitting to? Well, first of all, just the Lord. Okay, um, Remember, Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost, and thousands of people heard it, and they were convicted. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. So once again, the first thing the Lord calls you to do after you place your faith in him is to be baptized. And many people say, I don't need to do that. I have a private relationship with the Lord. Well, that private relationship with the Lord, the Lord says, I'm Lord. Obey me. So if you haven't taken that first step of obedience, and by the way, when a, when a dad takes that step of obedience and is unashamed to be baptized, that's, that says something very loud and clearly to the children. The Lord is number one in my life, okay? Then, how about this one? Colossians, bond servants, and we're going to talk about this next week, but let's just replace that with employees, obey in everything those who are your bosses, earthly masters. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So again, uh, do you expect your kids... To submit to you, yet you come home and gripe about your boss all day long. What does that teach them about your submission to authority? Okay, here's one for church leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Do you set an example at home in your respect for your elders? At church? Or do you say one thing to their face and then complain behind their back? Again, teaching your kids to act one way, but when nobody's looking to act another way. Now, this one will get all of you. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This is talking about political leaders. Yeah, yeah. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. You say, well, does that mean I have to just blindly follow whoever the president or whoever our senator? Or whoever? No, you don't have to blindly follow them. You can, you can have uh, differing political views, but here's what it does require pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Pay your taxes. Revenue to, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Now, this doesn't mean you get to go around saying, well, he doesn't deserve my... Res-. No, if he's in the position, if he's in the office, you owe him or her respect. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now, you say, yeah, well... Well, they don't have the kind of leaders we have. Do you know who was the the leader in Rome when Paul wrote this? Nero, who eventually chopped Paul's head off. Okay? So, if you're wondering, why might my kids have a rebellious, disrespectful attitude toward me? I'm the authority in their life. Well... Do you have a respectful attitude toward the authority in your life, the Lord, the church, your boss, the government? Okay. If not, you know what you're teaching your kids? You're teaching them to act one way to people's faces and another way behind their back. And don't be surprised if they act one way to your face, and mock you behind your back. Nothing produces frustration and anger in a child more than blatant hypocrisy. I'm telling you to act one way. Meanwhile, I am living a different life. Okay? So once again... Before you say, how could I get those kids to obey me? Look in the mirror and ask, how am I modeling submission to authority in front of my kids with all the God-ordained authority in my life? Okay? So, second characteristic that can produce frustration and anger in your kids is perfectionism. Okay? And what I mean is an unrelenting performance standard that they can't live up to. Okay. Now, one way to tell if your, your kids, uh, one way to tell if you've fallen into perfectionism is by asking, have my kids taken on a defeated, depressive, or angry Spirit. Okay. Now, there may be other causes. There may be medical causes. Okay. But if you have this unrelenting standard that never lets up, never shows grace, watch out. It can provoke them to anger and just defeatism. Now, be careful here. Because some people say, well, of course, we have high standards. I was raised with high standards, and I have high standards for my kids. And my kids show no sign of being angry. Um, They're fine. Well, you have to factor in their temperaments. Some kids react to perfectionism with anger. Others react with defeat but others of a more compliant temperament will actually try to live up to your impossible standard. John MacArthur writes this. I once visited a young woman who was confined to a padded cell and was in a state of catonic catonic shock. She was a Christian and had been raised in a Christian family, but her mother had ceaselessly pushed her to be the most popular, beautiful, and successful girl in school. She became head cheerleader, homecoming queen, and later a model, but the pressure to excel became too great, and she had a complete mental collapse. After she was eventually released from the hospital, she went back into the same artificial and demanding environment when, again, she found she could not cope. She committed suicide. She had summed up her frustration when she told me one day, I don't care what it is I do, it never satisfies my mother. Now, um, again, factor in your individual child's temperament. Okay, in uh, in our family, I told Josh I was going to pick on him. Okay. <laughs> um, now, Caleb, we could put him in a cage and poke him with a stick, and he wouldn't. That wouldn't bother him at all, right? But. Josh, I remember once I came downstairs and he's sitting in a chair and he had a big frumpy face and I go, Josh, what's the matter? And he goes, I'm in trouble. This, this was not like yesterday. This was when he was with I guess he and Caitlin had gotten into some kind of fight. I don't know. Do you even remember what it was? It was her fault. It was her fault. It was her fault. And he said, how come I have to be in trouble? Can you get me out of trouble? I go, well, what kind of trouble are you in? Are you like grounded for a month? Do you have to change the oil in all the cars? I'm just in trouble. I felt like saying, magically, you're out of trouble now. (laughs) But just being in trouble would devastate him, okay, careful. Yeah. All right. All right. Be careful. All right. All right. Other kids, you can waterboard them. They don't give a, you know. <laughs> um, so let me share the lyrics of a song. Now, I won't sing it. 1975, Greg, okay. I don't, I don't know. It's a country song. Were you country or classic rock, right? Okay. Anybody remember um, Blind Man in the Bleachers? Yeah? So, so this is uh, country, so it, it hit number 18. <laughs> <4. 9. laughs> 1975. Now, it shows how much kids want their dad's approval. Okay? That's the point. He's just the blind man in the bleachers to the local hometown fans, and he sits behind the speakers way back in the stands. And he listens to the play-by-play. He's just waiting for one name. He wants to hear his son get in the game. But the boy's just not a hero. He's strictly second team, though he runs each night for touchdowns in his father's sweetest dreams. He's going to be a star someday, though you might never tell, but the blind man in the bleachers knows he will. And the last game of the season is a Friday night at home, and no one knows the reason, but the blind man didn't come. And his boy looks kind of nervous, sometimes turns around and stares, just as though he sees the old man sitting there. The local boys are trying, but they slowly lose their will. Another player down, and now he's carried from the field. At halftime in the locker room, the kid goes off alone, and no one sees him talking on the phone. The game's already started when he gets back to the team, and half the crowd can hear his coach yell, Where the you been? <laughs> Little editorial beep. All right. Just getting ready for the second half, is all he'll say, because now you're going to let me in to play. Without another word, he turns and runs into the game, and through the silence on the field, loudspeakers call his name. It'll make the local papers how the team came from behind when they saw him playing his heart out to win this time. And when the game was over, the coach asked him to tell what was it he was thinking of that made him play so well. You know my dad was blind, he said. Tonight he passed away. It's the first time that my father seen me play. Yeah, they said it was like the most tear-jerking song in, uh, of its day. But um, they want our support. They want our approval. And if you have an unrelenting, perfectionistic standard, they're either going to be frustrated and give up, or they're going to try... And never get it. You know, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He says, here's how we apostles treated you. And first he talks about being like a mother, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, So there's the idea of nurturing. But then he says, we were also like a father. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted, that means urged, each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So here's the, the mom's the nurturer, and the dad is encouraging and urging. So he said, come on, you can do it. Picture the little kid trying to walk. Come on, you can do it. There's encouragement In the voice. Not, what did you do falling down again? It's encouragement. You can do it. You're for your kids. Is that the attitude you take? Be careful that you don't have such a perfectionistic standard that your own dad may have poured into you. And it just goes on to destroy generation after generation after generation. Okay? go on to number three, absenteeism. So speaking of songs from the 70s, my child arrived just the other day, he came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay, he learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it, and as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, dad, you know I'm going to be like you. Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. We'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. But as he turned away, his smile never dimmed. He said, I'm going to be like him. You know I'm going to be like him. Well, he came from college just the other day, so much like a man I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. But the new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you. It's been sure nice talking to you, and as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Harry Chapin, redone by like Megadeth or somebody recently. (laughs) Now, you say, well, I'm home all the time, so I'm I'm not the cats in the cradle guy. Well, being home doesn't mean you aren't absent, right? Even when the cats in the cradle guy was home, the boy said, can we play catch? He said, I got a lot to do, not today. So some guys were home all the time, but were so preoccupied with work, TV, sports, hobbies, or our addictions, whatever they may be, that we're home, but we're really not there. So, so here's a, a question. You know, the other day talked about the difference between um, going to church and getting your toes stepped on and leaving and feeling bad versus conviction. Conviction is Holy Spirit-led. And you say, I will do whatever it takes to change. Maybe it's my job that needs to change. Maybe it's my addictions that need to change. But you, with Holy Spirit power, turn from your sin and you start pleasing the Lord. Number four, capriciousness. What what does it mean to be capricious? Inconsistent, wavering, unsteady, frequently changing due to moods. So the capricious parent is one who flies into a rage one day And the next day, over the same behavior, they do nothing or even laugh at it. So capricious parenting doesn't teach the kids to learn godly behavior. You know what it teaches them? How to navigate your crazy moods. So if you're in a good mood, that means we can get away with anything you're in a bad mood, we'd better toe the line. So, capricious parenting raises not moral children, but manipulative children that learn how to read people and respond to the whims of people, not what is required of me from the Lord. Okay? So, How do you overcome this? Three things. okay. Number one, know God's standards. What are they? Are you in the Word? Are you in church? Are you in a Bible study? Are you studying the Word so you know what God's standard is? That's number one. Number two, have a united front with your spouse. Now, not that my kids would ever have done this, but You ever had this happen where your kid comes to you and asks you a question, you say no. They go to the other spouse and they get, well, if your father or mother says it's okay, then it so then they go back and say, Well, dad says it's okay, and they've they've navigated and they've they've manipulated into getting their way. Right? How do you stop that? United front. You both talk about what the standards are. Right? And that involves communication, which is a whole other thing. Right? But know God's standards, have a united front, and then here's the big key shepherd their hearts. You're trying to mold a child with a soft heart. If it's just, here's the behavior, act this way, or here's the consequence, you end up having legalistic, obedient children. Okay, so Jesus said this of the Pharisees, this people honors me with their lips and with all their external rules, right? But their heart is far from me. So what you're after is a soft heart. Have a consistent standard. Have a proportional consequence, a, a, a measured consequence, and explain to them, okay, maybe they have a timeout or whatever, what I'm looking for is a soft heart. Not looking for just clean up the toys or Apologize to your brother, but we're looking for a soft heart, right? Um, Think about the uh, the prodigal sons. The one really disgraced his father, but when his heart changed, the father welcomed him back. The older brother, on the other hand, Mr. Legalist, he kept all the rules. In fact, what was his attitude toward his, his dad? Look, these many years I have served you, and I've says, slaved for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He thought he was keeping the rules, but his heart was far from his father. Okay? It's amazing how quickly a child's heart can change when change of heart becomes the topic. When your attitude changes, you can come and apologize and join us. Now, what you're doing here is you're focusing them on the heart, and hopefully this is leading them to understand the gospel. You know, the gospel is not just Here's God's rules, and if you break them, you've sinned. The gospel starts with with even worse news than that. Here's God's rules, and you break them because you have a sinful heart. Every time they violate a rule, that's an opportunity to point to their heart. But it's also an opportunity to point to the cross. Okay. Now, you say, oh, we'd be talking about the cross all day long. Well, I mean, do it wisely. But there are those moments where, where you, you have that opportunity to say, yes, the reason you did that to your brother or you talked that way is because it's coming from your heart. You need Jesus as your Savior. And then you can explain He died to to pay for your sin, trust in Him, or go to the cross and ask for forgiveness. But you're continually pointing to the cross. And what you're doing is you're training their heart, not just their external behavior. Okay? So um, be careful of capriciousness. Number five. Favoritism can exasperate and anger a child. Remember, um, Abraham has Isaac, and then Isaac and Rebekah have twins, Jacob and Esau. It says this When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. This is a man's man bow and arrow guy, Ted Nugent guy. He had the camo hat and the high-power bow, right? So he's a skillful hunter, man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents, kind of a mama's boy, okay? Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Now that's a pretty... (laughs) I love my boy. Why? Good stew. That's pretty shallow, isn't it? But Rebecca loved Jacob. I like my boy because he's a man's man. He feeds me stew. And the other one is, I like my boy because he helps with the sewing. You know, whatever. Um, So it gets to the point where they so favor their children, that when Jacob is going to deceive his blind father, remember with the goat hair on the, on the arm thing, okay. Mama Rebekah actually helps Jacob deceive Isaac. Right? Um, and Esau gets so angry that he states he's going to kill his brother, and Jacob has to flee for his life. So he flees, and he ends up marrying two sisters and has 12 sons. Now, you would think he would have learned. Don't play the favoritism game. But Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel now, says, Now Israel loved Joseph, Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Okay? Now, um, this is really difficult because kids can see things as favoritism that really aren't favoritism. Okay? Um, when I was growing up, okay, it, was just, it was, just wasn't an option. You were going to play sports. And... My brother was kind of a natural athlete, especially in baseball. So my dad was the coach, and my brother was the pitcher, and he would hit home runs. I was the kid you had to stick in the, in the game for two innings, because everybody was required to play for two innings. Right? And um, I was horrible at baseball. I was afraid of the ball. Okay, And I think it had something to do with my brother being the pitcher, Um, once we were playing uh, with the neighbor kids in the backyard, my dad was out there, and we were having batting practice and catching practice, and my dad said, I'm going to cure you of your fear of the ball. Now, you go stand over there. He says, I'm going to throw this ball as hard as I can to show you that you can catch the ball. So... He hauls off, and he throws the ball, and I hold my mitt out. It hits the top of the mitt, smashes me right in the nose, and the blood starts gushing out of my nose, right? Didn't cure me. <laughs> um, I remember once, we, my, my brother was the pitcher, and my, my parents said, if, if he gets a shutout you can get a dog. So, uh, so far, it's a shutout, and it's like the last inning. I may be embellishing this as the memory fades, but um, it's, it's the inning that I have to play. And they put me out in the outfield, center field. I remember standing there praying, don't hit it to me, don't hit it to me. And my brother's pitching, and, ball comes. I close my eyes. Put. I caught it. We got a dog. <laughs> Norwegian elk hound. Keeps elks away. Have you ever seen an elk in the area? Or a Norwegian, for that matter, right? So, um, but I was terrible at baseball. And um, I remember once they had tryouts whether you could make the major leagues or the minor leagues. And um, I made the minor leagues. And I just, I hated everything about it. I hated, I, if it's over 72 degrees, I hate that. I hate the heat. I hate the bugs in the outfield. I can't catch. I can't, and I, I just remember uh, one of the coaches called and said, okay, you're on this minor league team. First practice is such and such. And and I remembered. Just I was. I cried. I didn't want to play baseball, but I thought that if I didn't play, my dad would be disappointed. And the way to his heart is to play baseball, because you could see how excited he was when my brother hit a home run. But I didn't want to play. And I remember. Being so worried, I walked around the outside of the house. I must have walked 20 times around the house saying, what should I do, what should I do? And I called him up at work. And I said, Dad, what if I didn't play baseball this summer? I think he was relieved. (laughs) He said, you don't have to play. What gave you the idea that you had to play? His excitement for my brother translated in my mind that that's what you had to do to earn his approval. He was fine with me not playing baseball. And then, I believe this was the same year. You know, some of you know I dabble in in, uh, illusions, magic tricks. And he knew that I, I loved magic. And that Christmas, you know what the present was? hundreds of dollars worth of magic books and magic tricks. That was his way of saying, find your aptitude. If it's baseball, great. If it's magic tricks, great. If it's football, great. If it's band, great. If it's computers, great. But, but be careful that you don't give the impression by being so overly excited about one of your kids' aptitudes that you neglect the other aptitudes, okay? Um, We think it's good for our kids to be involved in extracurricular. (laughs) You don't have to be in sports. Could be band. But we want to help you find what your skills and aptitudes may be. You can try, and if you don't like it, we'll try. So we think you should do it, but we have a, we have a, a theologian philosopher. We have a dancer. And, oh, yesterday Josh won uh, won first place in chess, third, board three, right, for the conference. Right, yeah? but that's not good enough. I want him to be a dancer. (laughs) Great. Let's find out what your skills are. Let's celebrate them. Let's flourish. Okay? So, a lot to think about today, but the question would be, are you doing any of these things that might be causing your children to be frustrated and provoked to anger. And how can you change? Let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. In just one verse, in one sentence, uh, you give such valuable truth for guiding and parenting uh, our children. So, Lord, help us to, uh, to have the right attitude, to not provoke them to anger, to encourage them, and uh, Lord, as we think about these things, as we apply them to our families, may you be glorified uh, in the families of Valleybrook. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.